Hi, this is Amber. Welcome to today's podcast. The website is sacredspacehealing.org. That's sacredspacehealing.org. For those of you that don't know, I'm a Reiki master teacher and a shamanic practitioner. I've been running my own healing practice since 2007. The work is focused on core wound healing, life purpose work, sacred union sessions and one-to-one coaching and healing. The website, again, is sacredspacehealing.org. Thank you to everyone who listens in and for all your lovely messages of support and also all of your donations. Um, We are in very powerful times. I don't need to tell you that. Uh, So I have been watching events uh, unfold across the waters with our brothers and sisters in uh, in the United States and I just want to share some personal experiences. I've already shared a bit on how we can navigate these times and my experiences as a woman of colour in this country and what it's been like to experience racism from the age of about five and how um, it just becomes your sense of normal. I would like to just share my experience of being in peaceful protest and how situations can escalate for any of you wondering, judging, um, or falling into narratives that are not useful right now. So for a period of time, uh, quite a period of time, I was uh, very much part of the anti-war movement. Um, I felt very motivated to take my voice to the streets and to protest peacefully. I think the first time I did it was around 2002. And um, I remember being very intimidated. I'd never done anything like that before. I'd always been the good girl at school. I never, you know, I'd spoken up about injustices always, but I, I never kind of hugely vocalized my disappointment in the system. So I went along to this march. It was a protest in Trafalgar Square. And it was peaceful. There were just people, you know, speaking and we were making our voice heard. And I, and I kind of got hooked into what that feels like to, to, to make your voice heard, to be surrounded by people who feel how you feel about an injustice in the world. And later on that month, I believe, there were further protests, uh, anti-war protests. And I couldn't go to all of them because of work, clashes and commitments. And I started to hear about how things got violent and how protesters were being um, locked in, kettled into parts of London. And a a pregnant woman had to give birth on the street. People were passing out, fainting. Um, You know, people had been kettled into small spaces on the streets for a good five, ten hours. I mean, it was horrific. And I just missed it because I hadn't gone to that protest. I'd missed it because of work. And I thought that could have been me. I didn't really understand how that could happen. And I really didn't understand what kettling was. Anyway, years later, I was still part of the anti-war movement. I even stewarded on anti-war marches. So the job of the steward is to make sure that everything goes along really well and that you know everyone is safe and that... The march follows the route that it's meant to follow and that no one causes any trouble really, you know, and it's and it's an it's an alliance with the security forces there because you don't want you don't want things to escalate into violence and you hope that the security forces will want to work with you. So 
it was an interesting experience. I discovered that that wasn't always the case. Um, so I'd stewarded out this, this march, gone back to Trafalgar Square and was helping clear up. And I hung around for a bit. You know, I helped clear up and I just hung around for a bit. I, for some reason, didn't want to leave the space. I felt compelled to stay there. I had, um, I just started on my spiritual journey, so I'd attuned to Reiki, so I, I was just kind of discovering this sort of ability to connect to your sixth sense and trust it. So I hung around, and I hung around to see what was going to happen in Trafalgar Square, and nothing was happening, everyone was clearing out. And I noticed that there was a small group of people in one part of the area, you know, like five, ten people, and then the numbers grew a little bit, and then suddenly I noticed that all these uh, security personnel, I want to give them that name because I don't want to empower the actual name that we give them, so that's why I'm doing it. So um, uh, these security personnel had formed this ring around them. I mean, I, first time I witnessed Kettling, and they weren't allowing the crowd to disperse, and the, the crowd wasn't aggressive. They weren't there to cause violence. But when you get kettled, when you get kind of um, surrounded and you're not allowed to move, you're not allowed to, you know, maybe you need to go to the loo, maybe you're thirsty, maybe you're hungry, maybe you've got family waiting for you somewhere that you need to go connect with. If you're not allowed to move and you're not being told why, it's going to piss you off. So this small crowd had got kettled and they were getting more and more vocal. And some of them did have family members who were just across the street and they were like, what are you doing? We're not here to cause trouble. We've just finished a peaceful protest. We've just been, you know, doing all the speeches and stuff in Trafalgar Square. We want to go home. Why are you doing this? There was no explanation given. And it was obvious from what I was witnessing that it seemed that the intention was to incite the crowd into violence. Um, I stayed to bear witness. So I crossed the road and I stood very close by to bear witness to what was happening. And because I did that, other people joined me. They said, hang on, what's going on? And I said, well, it looks like there's a bit of there's something going on here. They're not being allowed to leave. And eventually a crowd followed and witnessed this kettling that was going on. And I think because there were witnesses to what was obvious intimidation by the security personnel, um, it was allowed to disperse and the people could go on their way. And that was the first time that I noticed this phenomenon of kettling, of incitement, of violence um, that was being created by the security personnel, um, but also by infiltrators. Um, later on, I, a um, few years later, was doing a freelance um, research project uh, on human rights violations. And I was there with a colleague, we had a camera, and we were there to document this, this protest march. And maybe there would be some interesting people that we could talk to. And it was about human rights um, violations happening uh, in prisons um, around the world, specific state-sanctioned torture. So there we are with our camera, two women. We're no threat to anyone. We're just there to do, uh, to do our job, really, to document what's going on. And the first thing that I noticed was that there was a lot of aggression coming from the forces that should be there to protect us, right? These big, big, burly men were very aggressive as they walked through the crowd. I was pushed several times. I felt extremely intimidated, and I didn't feel protected. I felt as if there was this energy of aggression 
coming off them rather than the crowd that was actually in peaceful protest. I also noticed amongst the crowd that there were infiltrators and whether those infiltrators were you know, coming from some um, particular body or not, I don't know. But they were there to incite uh, to incite bad behavior. You know, they were there to say, come on, let's do this, let's do that, let's shout this. And I could see that a lot of it was getting staged for the cameras as publicity stunts. Because actually in the heart of the protest, it was all very peaceful and very beautiful. But the, it, that's not going to make the news. And so sometimes what I witnessed was that, you know, something like... Um, painting something on your face or burning something makes it to the papers. And if it makes it to the papers, then it gets, it gets press attention. If it gets press attention, then your cause has got attention. So there was that going on. There was levels of infiltration going on. Anyway, at one point, me and my colleague were just standing on... Uh, we were just standing off the pavement, I think, because the pavements were really crowded. So we were just like one you know, one foot away from the pavement, just waiting for things to disperse, just looking out for something that we could film. And this officer came up to me and told me that I wasn't allowed to stand where I was standing. And I said, what do you mean? Why can't I stand here? I'm not in anyone's way. I'm not obstructing anyone. There's no sign that says that I can't stand here. We're just standing here to take a breather because it's pretty intense in the crowd. And he got very threatening. And um, I said, I don't understand what your attitude is with me. Like, this, you, you're infringing, or I don't know if I was right or not, but I said, you're infringing on my civil liberties. I can stand wherever I want to stand. He got really aggressive. He got in my face. I mean, literally in my face. He was a big guy. Um, <laughs> you know, I felt intimidated. I thought this could really easily escalate. As I was standing there looking at him, telling me I couldn't stand on this bit of street or I wasn't causing any harm to anyone, I looked in his eyes and I noticed that he had really beautiful eyes. <laughs> he had really beautiful blue eyes. And there was something in his eyes that just, I don't know, just seemed like he, his, his soul was in the right place. So I went on a gut instinct and um, I picked up something, a kind of idea that was moving through me. And I said, look, I don't even want to be here. I'd much rather be by the sea anyway. Um, it's crazy here. And in that moment, he softened. He completely softened. His whole face changed. And he said, yeah, me too. I'm desperate to move out of London. And he really opened up to me. He started telling me about how he didn't enjoy his job, how it was really difficult for him, uh, well, difficult for him and his colleagues to when things like this happened, when protest marches happened, because every person, every individual has an opinion. But when you work, in that job, you're not allowed to express your opinion. You just have to do the will of your employer, right? You have to, you have to do these things that you're told to do. And I never really thought of it that way. Like I'd never really thought of the individual story. That's not to say that there isn't abuse, because there is a lot of abuse. And I, you know, I share. That's why I share the Kettling story. Like I think there's a lot of bullshit going on, and incitement of violence. But his story was interesting. But actually, he couldn't tell me. He couldn't say to me where he stood on this issue with secret prisons around the world and, and, the, and the foreign policy of this country. He couldn't tell me because he said, if I tell you, I, I could lose my job. I can't tell anyone what my true opinions are about what's going on in this country right now. But I could tell from the way that he was speaking that his opinions weren't what he was actually kind of playing out um, in terms of his, his job, you know, his status, what he had to play out on this march. 
we actually had a really pleasant conversation. And, you know, I wished him well, he wished me well, he left me alone. He didn't have a go at me, he didn't tell me I couldn't stand on this bit of the street. He left me alone and he moved on and we had a really genuine, beautiful, human connection in the midst of what was becoming quite an ugly protest march yet again. That was the last time I went on a protest march. I never went back, not because I don't believe in the power of protest, because I do, not because I don't believe in the power of raising our voices, because I do, but because I was starting to see that a lot of dirty tricks and tactics were being used, that there were a lot of infiltrators that were coming in to spoil things, that um, there were people, for whatever reason, whether you agree with it or not, who wanted to get on the front page of a newspaper for a cause or for an agenda, and that that could escalate. But more than that, what I was seeing was how there was incitement to violence. It's very interesting, the reports that are coming out at the moment of the violence that is happening across the pond, and that people saying that a lot of this is being staged, that it's being incited in some way. I can't offer an opinion on that. I can only share with you what my experience has been of going on protest marches close to 10 years ago. I, the, you know, I haven't been on one for so long. I don't know what it's like out there on the streets, but when I see how th quickly things escalate in the media, I think back to those times when I watched the escalation happen and it came out of nowhere. If you kettle a group of people, if you get, if you shove someone, you know, I was shoved by these really big officers. I'm like, what are you doing if you keep doing that? someone's going to re react and respond, and then immediately that escalates into something else. Crowds are powerful things. They can create a lot, um, but how that crowd is infiltrated or directed or misdirected affects everything, and who is within that crowd affects everything. So what's the purpose of this podcast? The purpose of this podcast is to say that if you're sitting at home and you're watching news coverage and you're thinking, how can this happen? This is an awful thing. How can people be doing this? How can they be destroying their own country? Is to try and look beyond what you're being shown and try and see the bigger picture of what might be going on. I also put into the mix, you know, imagine if you feel so... I, I saw um, a really interesting clip on social media today by Trevor Noah speaking really eloquently in, uh, into, into the camera, saying that if you are incensed by what's happening in terms of looting and so on, and, and you feel that sense of injustice and that sense of rage within you, imagine what it's like for the African-American community who experience that every single day, who experience a looting of their bodies based on the color of their skin. Uh, it's worth watching the, the nine-minute video clip that he does because he speaks very eloquently and profoundly about what's happening right now. Um, so I put that in the mix as well, is that, and I've said this in other podcasts, you know, you cannot subjugate a people for generations. You cannot steal from them. You cannot belittle them. You cannot humiliate them. You cannot kill them and not expect that ancestral and that collective and that individual pain and hurt, you cannot expect it to, to remain contained. Like at some point, it's going to spill over. And there has been far too much of this going on for far too long. And, you know, talk to any person of color, we're just fucking tired of it. 
We're tired of being judged on the colour of our skin. We're tired of being asked where you're from. We're tired of being told to come go back to where you came from. You know, we're tired of being denied opportunities that really have nothing to do with our intelligence or our talent, but we know are to do with the colour of our skin. And I'm lucky enough to have had a great education and I've achieved a lot in my life. And I remember when I was a child, my parents saying to me, you have to be 10 times better than everyone else in this country because this country will not give you the opportunities that they give their own people. You have to be head and shoulders above everyone else. Do you, like The level of pressure that that puts on you to be perfect, to be the best of the best, because you're not going to get given the opportunities Otherwise, you're going to get co- you're going to get told that you are um, that you're some nobody, that you're some packy who should just go back to doing what you do really well and eat curries and run a corner shop. Like you're not going to be allowed into the the boardroom with the big boys. You won't be allowed success. You won't be elevated. The opportunities for you are so small, and we only have to look at our our arts industries, for example, to see how small those opportunities are. You know, turn on your TV. Go to the cinema, go to the theatre. How many brown faces do you see up there? I mean, the black community has had to fight fucking hard to be represented, and even then it's not enough. But think about what it's like for, you know, the, the Chinese, the Japanese community. Think of what it's like for the Native American communities, the indigenous communities. Think of what it's like for the Indian and Pakistani and Middle Eastern communities. Do you, how often do you see their faces up on that screen? And when you do see their faces... You know, it's the Chinese person that owns a, re- a Chinese restaurant um, or involved with some dodgy drug dealing or some violence. It's the brown face up there that's, you know, about to bomb someone up because they're, they're bomb a country because they're a suicide bomber or they're running away from an arranged marriage or, you know, their parents want to marry them off to a sheep farmer. I mean, for fuck's sake, it's 2020. Our narratives are not changing. And because our narratives are not, are not changing violence and anger and frustration is going to spill over how long can we expect people to to be peace to be peaceful to be quiet to kind of say it's okay i forgive you i forgive my oppressor it's okay um i'm i must align myself with higher energies it's okay i will work harder it's okay i will do better and yet at the same time the the other party continues to bully and intimidate um, and push around and deny opportunity um, and perpetuate violence. How long can we remain locked in this relationship, which is so dysfunctional? Um, you know, when you think about relation, um, toxic relationships, when we see the stories and hear the stories of battered women, when they endure year after year of, of violence at the hands of their husband, or their partner, and then one day they snap and they fight back, Um, it's because they endured violence for so long. It's because they endured subjugation for so long. So if you are in judgment about what's happening on the other side of the world, or you are, you know, um, on the other side of the world and you're listening, and you're in judgment or you're in fear or you're going, how can they do this, Um, or this is counterproductive, these are a few seeds to, to ponder and plant. Think about infiltrators. Think about what is being incited. Think about, um, you know, that's why I share my story of the kettling, like think about what is actually going on on the ground and then think about 
the complete devastation and the rage that has been suppressed for so long, that has been denied for so long, that is, that is going to find a voice, that needs to find a voice. Um, you know, think about the opportunities that have been denied for so long based on the colour of someone's skin and what that does to you as a community, what that does to you on an individual level. I'm an energy healer, you know, and I'm never going to advocate violence. It's not my way, I'm not a violent individual. This isn't me advocating violence. I'm just saying we need to understand where this is coming from and not be in judgment and fuel the violence even more. And of course, looking forward, we need to find solutions within ourselves, individually and collectively. In the podcasts that I've done, I've done one on why women cover their heads and another one on the myths of Islam. The intention behind those was to shine a light on racial prejudice, on... Um, on these polarized views that we have that are based on misinformation. We are pro being programmed constantly to be in division, to be in polarity, to fight each other. Because if tomorrow, if we came together as a world community, all of us with love and union in our hearts, we could build the most incredible world. And the 1% that rule us and manipulate us wouldn't stand a chance. And all of this bullshit, all of this inequality, all of this denial of resources, all of this poverty would be eradicated if we came together. But we remain polarized because we're manipulated. We don't see past the programming. We don't see past the stuff that we're being told to think. And my invitation to you is to use what is happening in the world right now to really question things, to question your own beliefs, to question the people that you align with, to question your prejudices. A lot of people who are racists don't even realize that they're racist you know they say stuff they make passing comments and judgments and they don't even realize how racist they sound they don't even realize how patronizing they sound you know they think that they're being really generous with their time or they think that they're you know reaching out to you because they make some comment but they don't realize how small-minded and bigoted it is I once had someone say to me um they said, oh, you really should meet so-and-so. You'll get along really well. You'll absolutely love her. You'll get along really well. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, yeah, she loves India. She loves it. You'll get on so well. <laughs> I just thought, I'm sorry, I don't understand why you think that I would get on really well with someone who loves India. Where is that coming from? It couldn't have come from anywhere other than her looking at me and seeing brown and going Indian. I'm not even fucking Indian for a start. But, you know, that's, that's, the, that's what she joined up in her tiny little racially profiled, unevolved brain. That's what she did. And of course, as always in these situations, and that's such a small example of racism, I had to just take it in and go, yes, of course, let me find the gracious place to be. Let me excuse her ignorance. Let me see that she's doing the best that she can because, bless her, she hasn't bothered to educate herself because why should she? Society works in her favour and she's never really had to look at things from a different perspective. She can whitewash whatever she wants as easily as she wants without delving deeper. I think another time I mentioned something on social media about how um, I'd worked in workplaces where, you know, you're the only brown face. And you look around and all you see is this whitewash of white face, you know, whitewash of faces. And um, I got trolled by these men 
sad, isn't it? But it's usually men who troll you on social media. I got trolled by these men who were, were taking exception to the fact that I'd used the phrase whitewash. I don't think whitewash is a racist phrase. I really don't. And what they chose to ignore was what I was saying. So one of the guys was like, well, prove to us, prove to us that you were the only brown person in that company and prove to us that inappropriate things were said to you. And I was like, mate, I don't need to prove to you what my experiences of racism are. If I tell you that that's my experience, then the decent human reparatory thing to do is for you to accept my experience and then to ask, well, how can we move forward from this experience and make sure that experiences like this are not the norm? Rather than troll me and then try and make the phrase whitewash seem as if I'm being racist. Ah, I'm sorry, it just doesn't, it's not going to hold because when we look at racism, when we look at the subjugation of people, you cannot deny the fact that white privilege and colonialism has eradicated and raped and abused people of colour for so long. We can't ignore that. We can't ignore that. We can try and demonise the brown face and the Muslim and the black man. We can try it, but we still can't ignore all the incredibly vile things that have happened for decades, for centuries, at the hands of the white man. I think bringing that up in conversation doesn't make one racist. We have to be able to have these conversations. And as I've talked about in other podcasts, if we can't have these uncomfortable conversations, nothing's ever going to change. And part of the duty of the oppressor or the oppressing race is to be able to take responsibility for, for what they have done and what their ancestors have done. You know, and I talk about this in the podcast, I've mentioned it in podcasts about the masculine and the feminine, you know, part of the masculine's journey is to be able to take responsibility for where he has harmed women and for where his sex has harmed women. In the same way that women have been striving to take responsibility for their misdeeds um, across, you know, across decades and centuries. I, th- I think collectively and individually it's important that we take responsibility, that we look within during this time of chaos and we say, where am I racist, where am I sexist, where am I misogynistic, where am I prejudiced, where are my ancestors like that, you know, where do I surround myself with people like that, where do I perpetuate stuff like that, um, where do I still have anger and rage and resentment in me that is based on the colour of someone's skin or their religion or their sex, and okay, where has that come from? And do I want to hold on to it? And if I don't want to hold on to it, how can I heal it, release it, and really come into a place of unity? Because that's the only thing that's going to save us now. So my invitation is if you are witnessing what's happening right now and feeling lost and confused or feeling angered, is to just allow some of these musings, these um, thoughts to percolate in your consciousness so that you can bring yourself to a greater space of awareness and forgiveness and inner healing and then be of service to your community and the world community. Until the next time.